0: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.
1: This woman said, yes, and he didn't eat his dinner, which I thought was most discourteous. We certainly shouldn't interview him. And he was not interviewed.
0: And that man would be Prime Minister today if he had just eaten more of, <laughs> of his, his mashed potatoes. <laughs> and
1: or, meat as loaf. the circuit tends to know it, his rubber chicken. Britain has one of the oldest systems of government in the entire world. But nobody sat down and planned that system. It's composed of numerous bits and pieces cobbled together over hundreds of years as the need arose. I'm John Burko, and for ten years I was the Speaker of the House of Commons. I've seen our system of government at its best and at its worst, and I'm fascinated by who gets to operate the levers of power and what people do with them. In this series, with the help of Deborah Francis White, I'll be looking at different aspects of our modern democracy, how they began, how they work, and how much influence each of them has. And we'll try to answer the question, where does power really come from? This is Absolute Power.
0: Hello to everyone out there on Her Majesty's internet. I'm Deborah Francis-White, and I'm sitting here with the former Speaker of the House of Commons,
1: John Burko. Hello, John. Good morning to you, Deborah. Top of the morning. You you sound unwell, John. Are you all right? Well, I'm as all right as I ever have been or am ever likely to be. Now, that in itself is an essay question, Deborah, because some people will say, well, he's never been all right and he never will be. I mean, so I am cursing the elements that have caused me to suffer what, if I'm positive, I'll say is a cold, and if I'm. Negative or hypochondriacal, I'll say, is flu. But no flu will dare to afflict me for long, and certainly not if it causes a disruption in the recording schedule, uh, DFW and JB. Uh,
0: Absolutely, absolutely. The absolute power of your ability... I bet you wish you hadn't asked that question. I mean, it was a longer answer than I was expecting, but as always, amusing (laughs) and articulate. Uh, The absolute power that thrusts you out of bed... Uh, into the recording studio is is not lost and it is not unappreciated. <laughs> Thank you. Now, on this episode, we're going to be talking about how to become an MP, a Member of Parliament, and in particular, how you get on the ballot in the first place, as opposed to how you get more votes than your rivals. So so here's the thing, John. People often say to me, you should become an MP, you should get into politics. And that's because I'm a comedian, Quite quite a lot of opinions, Um, do some activism and they say oh you know we we need people like you in the House of Commons now I always say absolutely not it sounds absolutely awful to me there's so much compromise I don't see how you get much done and also I don't know that I could take the Twitter hate that women often get
1: yes that's certainly true I'm
0: sure men get it. women and
1: BAME candidates in particular suffer disproportionately there's no question about that it is a matter of demonstrable fact I'm afraid
0: if I am starting day one, I think, yeah, do you know what? I'm going to give this a go. I'm going to try and become an MP. What would I do?
1: First and foremost, I should say, because I don't want you to feel a guilt that is either inappropriate, Deborah, or disproportionate. You should not castigate yourself. You should still less lacerate yourself. You should not engage in endless self-incrimination by behaving as though somehow you are defying the public will or letting people down. How do you you speak, John,
0: John, how do you speak like you're reciting Gilbert Sullivan lyrics? I mean, sometimes... Well, I'm
1: just a professional oddball. (laughs) I inherited my rather bizarre speaking style, Deborah, from my late father, whose wont it was to speak in paragraphs, who (laughs) deplored the use of a preposition at the end of a sentence or the foreign body as he saw it which had to be erased of a split infinitive what do you do answer what you should do is inquire first of yourself do I have a basic party allegiance if I have a party allegiance I should approach the party the chance of becoming a member of parliament purely as an independent, is infinitesimally small. Mm -hmm. There are very, very, very few independents in Parliament. Hardly anybody, hardly anybody is elected as an independent. Mm -hmm. Somebody can become an independent by resigning the whip or having the whip withdrawn by his or her party. And Is that person then likely to be re-elected in standing as an independent at the following election? No. If you take a really, really, really long-serving, hard-working, not uncontroversial, but very long-serving and very hard-working and very widely respected member of parliament in the last parliament, namely Frank Field, who was a Labour MP for 40 years, he walked out of the Labour Party in coruscating criticism of Jeremy Corbyn and the phenomenon of anti-Semitism in the Labour Party, and he stood as an independent in the constituency he'd represented for 40 years. Was he elected? No, absolutely not. So You've got to have branding. You've got to have branding. You've got but, to have otherwise branding. they just
0: go, well, wh- what can you get done or who are you? Or maybe a lot of people don't really even know the name of their MP. They just go, I vote Labour or I vote Conservative, or, I vote Lib-, Lib Dem. And they go in and they actually tick the box of the party that they feel affiliated with. Yeah,
1: actually, it's interesting you should say that because I remember, it's very trite, but there is this old adage that you could put up a donkey in Beaconsfield with a blue rosette. I'm not saying, by the way, that the representative of that constituency is in any sense a donkey. It's not a personal point directed at the new member for that seat, whom I don't know personally.
0: The but views of John Burko are not necessarily those of absolute power. Please don't sue us.
1: Thank you very much indeed. That's a, a very useful <laughs> <laughs> caveat or corrective. But no, there is an old adage. You can put up a donkey with a blue rosette in a place like Beaconsfield and that person will be elected. And similarly, you know, in somewhere like Islwyn in Wales you could put up a donkey with a red rosette and call it the labour candidate and it would be elected so shall
0: we do that as an experiment
1: you on? could try it, we, as an it experiment. Could,
0: well we could do it as an absolute power experiment yes we could do we could do the donkey test
1: do you think we should dress up as donkeys i
0: mean it's not a bad idea uh, what what and i'd i'd like to see if we could get an actual donkey elected um uh, so
1: your first task i'm very keen to cultivate and nurture the burgeoning political career Mm. of Deborah Francis White. Sure. So, I mean, this is a matter of the utmost importance. So it seems to me that the first step you've got to take is to contact your party. Now, I happen to know I am privy Mm. to a piece of information not widely known, and that is that you are, of course, yourself a constituent of the right honourable gentleman who leads the Labour Party. That is correct. Sir Keir Starmer. So it would be possible for you, if you wanted... To invade his personal space, to go to his surgery, not because of any particular problem. I've that done you that. Had. I've done that. Ah, but I've... have you gone to the, his surgery to say, "Well, Sakira, I'm not trying to displace you, but I'd like to be a candidate for your party"?
0: I haven't. But well, I you're I f- too shy. I feel I feel as if I did. He'd be certainly open to the conversation. I think he would. Um, yeah, we'd, he'd he'd definitely have a chat with me. He's he'd be open to the conversation,
1: not least because you've got a profile drawn from your previous and indeed continuing activities. So you would have a certain wow factor so far as the Labour Party was concerned.
0: Well, I'm, I, I'm flattered and delighted. I don't actually know if that's true, but, but let's, let's pretend it is because I'm loving this. What if you don't have, for example, like I have a successful podcast in The Guilty Feminist, but what if I'd chosen a different path in life? So I'm still Deborah Francis White. How would I then approach Keir Starmer, who
1: thinks, well, I've never heard of you, If you are not a known quantity, you've got to help yourself. And the first step would be either to join your local CLP, your local constituency Labour Party, or you can join, as memory serves me correctly, as a national member. It doesn't hugely matter which, although it matters in one sense, and that is that all politics is local. And I think if you do aspire to be a Member of Parliament for your party... It is in your interests to say, I have had some link with, some involvement in, and have given some help to, the local party. Now, what does that mean? Well, go to constituency Labour Party meetings. You should go out canvassing. The Labour Party would probably say, well, if you want one day to be an MP... To become an MP, you have to be a candidate, and if you're a candidate, you'll have to knock on doors and distribute mm. leaflets. And I used to be a Jehovah's
0: Witness, John. This is nothing to me. Knocking on doors. I'm a. I'm a, I'm an absolute expert. And handing out flyers? Are you serious? Yeah, I can
1: do it in my sleep. You can do no it, no problem sleep. at all. So that isn't going to be a problem for you. Oh. So what you want is to become known in your local volunteers, who are local party workers, usually representatives of local branches of the party. But they must and be interested by committee. the
0: national party, because if Keir Starmer wants to ring up safe seat on the world and say, "Hey, we we'd love to send you this fantastic candidate," we think can win and has a brilliant future, glittering future in the party. And does safe seat on the world not go, Oh, Sakia, we're so delighted to have a phone call from you, of course, and we, we will select the candidate of your preference?
1: I wouldn't go so far as to say that. It's slightly more nuanced than that. Although local parties, particularly in the Conservative Party, tend to be pretty loyal to and influenced by and respectful of the leader... They do quite value their autonomy in making their own selection. So yeah, it, it can work against off. you. Yeah. It slightly irks people. And people don't want to like be being manipulated. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and they will tend to take the attitude, well, we're not going to be told. Now, I'll give you one example, and you know, you must shut me down. In Chingford, in nineteen ninety two, when Norman Tebbit stood down as the local MP and former Conservative Cabinet Minister and so on. It was a very sort of Thatcherite constituency. And in the last three, there was a man called John Whittingdale, who subsequently became a Conservative MP and a Conservative cabinet minister. Now, you might have thought looking at that lineup, it was a man called John Whittingdale, Ian Duncan Smith and Michael Keegan. You would have thought probably John Whittingdale's, if not a totally safe bet, a likely winner of that selection process because he had worked as political secretary to Margaret Thatcher. And that was emblazoned all over his CV. Well, actually, Ian Duncan Smith won it. Yeah, and I remember being told, I've never had this conversation with John Whittingdale, who's a perfectly articulate chap I hasten to add, but I remember being told subsequently that at that selection process, John Whittingdale's speech couldn't be heard all that clearly by a number of people at the back. Now, whether that was because John didn't speak loudly enough or whether because of the acoustics or what, who knows? It's lost to history. But some people couldn't faulty? quite hear. And Was that's the microphone why faulty? why
0: IDS ended up for a while as the leader of the party.
1: As the leader of the party. Who knows? You know, one just doesn't know. I remember once hearing, of, and here I won't name this person because this person is no longer with us, but I remember hearing a story about a Tory I knew who... Went to Bromley and Chislehurst for selection, a very safe conservative area. All
0: these places are real if you're listening internationally. They don't sound real, and South- I can see why you think they're not, but they're actually well, real.
1: They are real. Southeast London, bordering Kent. This <laughs> chap, who was a sort of rival of mine in a sense, he was somewhat older than I, but a rival of mine, told me with great delight that he was very confident that when Bromley and Chislehurst came to select, which they were going to have to do because the sitting MP was retiring, he was very confident of getting an interview. And I said to him, why are you so confident? And he said, I've already spoken to them quite recently. They invited me to speak at a dinner of theirs. And he thought his speech had gone well. And he said, so he was very confident that when they eventually came to select a candidate, he would be interviewed. And he didn't get an interview, and he was most mystified by this. And what was the explanation? Well, the explanation was that he'd gone to speak at a local Conservative political supper in Bromley and Chislehurst. Whether he had some swanky dinner to go on to later in the evening, I don't know. But the local volunteers, who were local Conservative women, had cooked the dinner. My friend and contact, did not eat much of his dinner. <gasps> this caused, I won't say palpitations, it caused ructions. Pearls were It caused most serious resentment. Of- <laughs> on the part of the local ladies who'd worked extremely hard to cook this dinner and he had not eaten it. And one of those people, one of those women, was then on the selection committee when the constituency came to decide Mm, who to interview. This person was named and people said, oh, well, of course he came to speak to us recently. This woman said, yes, and he didn't eat his dinner, which I thought was most discourteous. We certainly shouldn't interview him. And he was not interviewed.
0: And that man would be Prime Minister today if he had just eaten more of, <laughs> of his, his mashed potatoes.
1: <laughs> and or, as loaf. the circuit tends to know it, his rubber chicken.
0: Mm. Because it mm. used
1: to be referred to, it probably still is, as people who are active on the so called rubber chicken circuit. In other words, who are willing to go around mm. doing fundraising events, either because they want to be MPs or for some other reason. Geoffrey Archer used to speak at a lot of so called rubber, rubber chicken, chicken dinners. dinners for the. The purposes of Tory fundraising. Whether Jeffrey particularly savoured the quality of the chicken or not, I don't know. You'd have to ask him.
0: I'm not going to. Now, can I ask some more practical questions? Um,
1: I've got a feeling you're about to do so.
0: (laughs) I am. So I, I get it if you're a local activist and you think, I want to change my patch of the world and you've had some success changing your patch of the world, or maybe you've run for local council, do you have to become competitive with other local party members? Is there any sort of knifing or elbowing people out of the way to get that spot? Because presumably there's quite a lot of people who want it. And if the party are going to back you, they, ha- they have to think you've got a good chance of winning or if it's perhaps a safe seat for the other party, at least putting up a good show. What what kind of machinations, it, the thick of its style, go on locally, do you think?
1: Well, that's a very good question. I think the answer is that there can be much local competitivity if somebody tries to become the Member of Parliament for his or her local seat. Now, this requires a bit of unpacking, I'm afraid, Deborah. because on the one hand, I can imagine some of your listeners, some of our listeners will think, well, it would be good to have more local candidates as opposed to having people who are just parachuted in from somewhere else and who don't know the area, who aren't familiar.
0: Which is what would happen to me, because obviously Keir Sharma's not going to say, have my seat. No. So he's going to say, oh, why don't you move to safe seat on the wold?
1: Yes. yes. Or he
0: might say, it's your first time. Let's move you to impossible seat on the sea. Yes. So we just see, have a dry run.
1: Well, it's quite common to be asked and expected. In fact, more common than not. Slightly dependent on your age, slightly dependent on what else you've done and how much you've impressed the party. But it is quite common to be asked and expected to fight somewhere so-called hopeless first before getting the chance to fight either a winnable or a safe seat. In terms of local there is merit in fighting a local seat standing as a candidate in a local seat but it shouldn't be an absolute requirement for two reasons and you've in a sense hinted at them one reason is that your local seat may simply not have a vacancy because mm-hmm. there's a serving mp who's planning to continue for several years who's or even decades the Party, to come. in my case, in your case if- person yeah. who's actually running the Labour He party. Not so to step aside. However public-spirited as as he is he. and however devoted a fan of Deborah Francis White he is. I'm Whitey, sure he, he is, the
0: girls Feminist every week. I mean, I'm sure he does. And I feel he will
1: salivate at the prospect of okay. listening to your podcasts. But is he so salivating that he's inclined to say to the Starmer family, I think I must renounce mm. my role in public life. I must give up my If
0: you're listening contribution to this, here, think it through.
1: In order to enable Deborah to become the Member of Parliament, Pobin and yeah. St Pancras. It seems unlikely. That would be a an element of selflessness that I've not encountered in a public figure in my lifetime. (laughs) So I don't think that's very likely to happen. So that's one problem with the idea that, you know, you've got to be local. But then how do I move
0: to to either, first of all, impossible seat on the sea, where I just have a dry run and then safe seat on the
1: wall? Well, the answer is you don't necessarily have to move. Let's say you're told, well, you've got to fight impossible seat On On the sea, sea first. Well, you wouldn't necessarily be expected to move there. I think you would be expected to demonstrate a commitment to the place. That might involve moving there or renting a place there. It might. But in particular, I think what it involves is going regularly and familiarising yourself with the people and the issues and the geography of the constituency and championing the causes that matter. So, for example, I fought the Bristol South constituency in 1992 for the Conservative Party. It has to be acknowledged as a matter of public record that the constituency of Bristol South fought back. And that's why I wasn't elected <laughs> as the Member of Parliament for that constituency. But when I went for selection, I was 26. Mm. And I was selected in July 1989.
0: You're very young. I was Did very young. Did they know you couldn't win that seat? So they were just giving you a dry run?
1: I think it was widely expected that I wouldn't. I mean, it was theoretically possible for reasons with which I won't bore you. It had been artificially marginal at the previous election, but that was because of local circumstances at the time which weren't likely to repeat themselves. Had it been a Conservative seat at any time in living memory? No. Was I likely to win it? No. Did the local Conservative Association expect me to win it? No. So, in essence, what you're saying is right. I think they thought John will be a dynamic and vigorous candidate. He'll give it his best shot. Super
0: young, if you don't mind me saying. 26. I
1: know. know. it was absurd. And by the time the election came, because it was a long build-up, I was 29. Now, at that time... Could I have afforded, alongside the home I had in London, with a mortgage in London and my day job in London?
0: Don't go bragging about having a mortgage in London at twenty-nine. This generation will not <laughs> see will not see real estate until their know. parents die.
1: I know. Well, and I they just, inherit it. Well, I. I mean, come on now. Well, I only bought a home in London in the late eighties because my father passed away and. Could I have afforded to buy a place in Bristol or even to rent in Bristol? No. What I did at that rather tender age was to go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, week after week, campaigning. On the train. On the train. And eventually I got my driving licence and I started to drive there. And to be honest, Deborah, I used to stay with local well-wishers, members of the local Conservative Party who'd got rooms in their homes. There was one very benign, kindly, elderly couple who are no longer with us who said, you know, we're very happy for John to stay with us. And I'm not saying I went every weekend, but I would certainly go two weekends out of three. So you were like the
0: ersatz grandson with... slash well,
1: I hadn't local member candidate. Conceptualised, it, still less articulated in those terms. But what you say does have the advantage of being true. <laughs> uh,
0: so um, here's the thing. Here's my question.
1: But if it was a safe seat you were standing for, by the way, mm. not hopeless seat in the sea, but mm, safe seat but, on the wall, but, yeah. well, then I think there would be a different expectation. So, for example, when I was eventually selected in 1996, mm. age 33, mm. and having fought twice in Scotland in 87 and Bristol in 92, unsuccessfully, I decided only to apply for very, very, very solid conservative seats, and was selected in Buckingham, well, there, I knew I would be expected to take root locally. And in bidding for selection, I made it clear that if they selected me, I would, in the first instance, rent. And then as soon as I could find a place, I would buy a home in the constituency. And that's what I did. And I think that that would be expected in most areas. It doesn't mean you'd necessarily have to give up your lovely home in North London, in your case. But if you were not the Member of Parliament for a North London seat, but for somewhere else, it would be expected that you would establish roots in that safe territory that you're aspiring to represent for the next So you've years. sort of
0: got to have money, is what you're saying. Because I think I would have to, well, I would, I would have to sell my Camden flat, which I'm very lucky to have, to go and buy in safe seat on the world. Yeah. Or maybe rent out my flat and rent a flat in safe seat on the world. But that's interesting because if you are somebody who maybe has a council flat, yeah. what are you gonna do? You can't run in safe seat on the world. So this is this is this is really something for people with money, which is a problem.
1: I don't say that you can't get into parliament without money. I think that would be an exaggeration. I mean, it certainly can be done. And I think on the whole, Deborah, the individual constituencies are more interested in what you can offer, what your potential is, how you would effectively represent, than in whether you're moneyed. so but there's I not think a lot of broke people, people
0: in Parliament, are there?
1: you thought, well, you know, you've really got to be well off to be an MP. I don't think you do have to be well off, but it probably helps if you are. And... I think there is a real issue. Well, what do you do to try to promote people who are of ability, but without means? I think that is quite a challenge. Very often in the Labour Party, on a bigger scale, perhaps, than in the Conservative Party, I think there is an interest in having somebody relatively local. But even so, I can think of people in the Labour Party who've become MPs for places that they didn't know historically? And has it helped if they've been able to afford to rent or buy a place? I guess it has. So that slightly validates your, tends to validate your point. I don't think, I think it's quite important that we're not too absolutist or dogmatic about this. It is not the case that you have to be rich to become a member of parliament. That is not the case. There are loads of examples of people of quite ordinary means who eventually get there. But is there a financial... Reckoning, you know, is there a cost to being a candidate? There is a cost. There's no doubt that there is a cost. And I think that, you know, alongside the very proper pursuit of greater diversity in gender terms and terms of ethnicity. We need
0: to think about class. We've
1: got to think about class as well. You know, I think that all the major political parties should want to have what I would call hard edged. Experience of life, candidates and people often say, "Oh, well, you know, it would be good for our party to have more people who've been doctors." Well, possibly, but what about nurses? Mm. What about midwives? What about what about patients? Patients? What about clerical assistants <laughs> in the National Health
0: Service? People, people who've had to apply for disability benefit, etc. How much does it cost and how much does the party help? Like, what would my campaign cost and how would I raise the money for that?
1: Well, the campaign doesn't ordinarily cost the individual candidate. On the whole, I am speaking generally here on the basis of my own experience, Deborah, but on the whole, the local party will tend to cover the cost of the campaign. At the start of the campaign, they issue a financial appeal to their members and they get donations therefrom, from and... In each of the campaigns that I fought in the Buckingham constituency, for example, from 1997 to 2005 as the Conservative, they were financed by the local party. Thereafter, slightly more complicated and out of kilter with everybody else's experience because I was the Speaker. Mm -hmm. I then, as Speaker, stood as the Speaker seeking re-election and I had to raise funds for my campaign from well-wishers, business people, personal friends who made donations and so on. If you ask me, was I generally out of pocket? Answer, I was never out of pocket when I stood as a Conservative candidate. When I stood as the Speaker seeking re-election, the first time in 2010, I did end up spending some thousands of pounds myself, which I could ill afford, much to the irritation of my wife, because it happened at quite short notice and I didn't have enough money otherwise to fight an effective campaign. Thereafter, in 2015 and 2017, Mm. I had business backers who helped. I don't think the main issue is the election campaign. The election campaign will generally be supported, financed by your local party volunteers, etc. How
0: much does it cost them? Even if I'm not paying for it, if the party's paying for it, how much do you reckon it'll
1: cost? Oh, an election campaign, short election campaign of four weeks, has a spending limit, and the limit is of the order of £15,000. Oh, you're not
0: allowed to spend more than that?
1: So you're not allowed to spend more than that. There is what is called a long campaign, which is some several months before, and there I think the figure is about £40,000. But for the period of the campaign itself, that is to say the campaign which begins when Parliament is dissolved and the four or six-week run-up to the election gets underway, the limit for that in terms of expenditure per candidate is roughly £15,000. This is
0: so different from America where you get these enormous donors and you can basically buy your
1: way in. Yes. No, it's not like that in the UK. When you are a member of Parliament of course, your costs as a practising Member of Parliament, as a serving MP, as a functioning representative are met. In other words, your travel costs to and from your constituency and around your constituency are met. Your office expenditure is met by public funds perfectly properly. But go back to your point about perhaps being financially disadvantaged if you're not well off at the start. There is no doubt that if you haven't got means It can be financially burdensome when you're a candidate Mm. before the election campaign. If you're selected, which very often you will be, a year or two years before an election, well, the local party won't pay your costs for travelling back and forth or travelling around the constituency or going to events and buying raffle tickets or providing raffle or auction prizes or whatever. That's down to you, and so... Is there a cost? Yes, I haven't ever calculated precisely what costs I incurred as a candidate, but I would say in Bristol, I would have spent certainly some thousands of pounds between 1989 and 1992. And in Buckingham, when I rented a cottage for a year before the general election, that will have cost me... Low thousands, I mean, less than £10,000, but I think a bit more than five. And will I have spent thousands of pounds, for example, in travel costs, you know, the cost mm-hmm. of petrol in driving back and forth to the constituency and other expenditures that I had to incur in producing literature or going to local events and providing raffle prizes and buying raffle tickets and so on? Yeah, that's just regarded as incumbent upon the aspirant mp to foot so
0: you do have to have money because for some people any any some thousands of pounds is just you know
1: way out of their needs. is undoubtedly very difficult for somebody who's got absolutely nothing
0: mm. you're you right have, to have is a it strong community completely
1: prohibitive not necessarily but it is very disadvantageous and i suppose the point is also a psychological one if people think wow, I'm fearful of that prospect because I know I'm very public service orientated, I've got strong values and I've worked really hard and I could prove a really effective MP, but I don't have two brass farthings to rub together. Well, that will probably deter that person from even seeking selection.
0: Auria on Twitter says, what gives you the self-belief to say, I could do this, my way is best?
1: Oh, inbuilt self-confidence. You may think arrogance, perhaps, that's true. I think you just have to have a a basic belief, A, that you'll be effective at helping people, and that's partly because you think that you'll write well and speak well, and B, persistent, and B, I think... If you want to be an MP and you think you'd be good at it, you have to feel that most of the time you can stand up for yourself and fight other people's corner. Mm. Now, what does that mean? I suppose it means you have to think, basically, I am up to it. I can get to grips with the tasks and I'm not scared of anybody And was I daunted at the thought of having to stand up in the chamber and make a maiden speech? No. And why, you know, if people on Twitter there are thinking, well, why? Why was he so cocksure? I suppose in that sense, the apprenticeship that I'd gained over decades of being a student politician, doing a lot of debating and speaking and panel discussions and so on, and the experience of being a local councillor for four years in an inner London borough... All of that contributed to a sense of self-confidence. It may not be a very attractive quality, but the question has been asked and that's the
0: answer. (laughs) Well, listen, I think confidence is an attractive quality, but I would question that it's all inbuilt. I think a lot of it is outbuilt by the power structures which tell certain sorts of people that they look like a member of parliament or their education has given them that kind of kind of confidence a lot of it is power structures
1: well i think a a lot of it can be power structures it had a kind of reverse effect with me because there was a teacher of mine at school who utterly ridiculed the idea that i might ever become a member of parliament he said the idea that somebody like you burko from your background meaning an ordinary background will become a conservative mp is for the birds they will tend to select as was often Mm -hmm. true people from Privileged backgrounds, people who've been to public school—the David Camerons, the Boris Johnsons—been to public school, people who've got money, and you know, yes, exactly. The, did
0: you? You're did not you going to become an MP him and when that you
1: won. I did. I Did, thought, you, did you write you. to him? I didn't. No, I you didn't
0: need to. It was in the papers.
1: Well, it was in the papers that I'd become an been, MP. I thought, well, if anything, it, far from putting me off, if anything, it intensified my determination mm-hmm. to get there. And just as I think I told you on a previous occasion that when I stood for speaker, somebody said to me, well, John, you can stand for speaker if you want, but let me tell you, you'll lose. And I thought, well, we'll see about that. Mm. I'm not convinced that's the case. So So yes, it can be off-putting, but it can work the other way. And I would say that the intervention of that now forgotten teacher, Mm -hmm. whose name eludes me, to say, well, you're not going to get there, simply... Emboldened I'm
0: with. amazed you can't remember their name because you could I can always remember the names of those teachers that said those things and you can remember everyone's name. Jeff on Facebook says citizens of Ireland or any commonwealth country can run for parliament. If I were elected a member of parliament as an Australian, would I be deported given I have no right to live in the United Kingdom?
1: Oh. Yes. You would be deported. In all likelihood.
0: Listen, Jeff. I'm a screenwriter and I could make something really hilarious out of that. So don't listen to John. He's not (laughs) thinking of this imaginatively. This is a romantic comedy.
1: Indeed. Absolutely. Could a romantic comedy be generated? Yes, with a degree of creative licence and (laughs) Jeff's willing participation in this rather titillating venture. Yes, it could become something.
0: Fish Out of Water is coming to a cinema near you next summer. (laughs) Finally, John, (laughs) where do the local parliamentary electors sit on the scale from basically irrelevant to absolute power? The people who decide who the candidate is, where do they sit?
1: The people who decide who the local candidate shall be are powerful because they may be only and will be only a small coterie of individuals in a local political party, but they do have The power to choose the candidate, or at least to choose a shortlist from which the candidate is chosen. And typically, the local party meeting that chooses a candidate won't consist of more than a couple of hundred people. So they're powerful in that sense. Do they exert wider influence on the political system? No. On the whole, once an MP is selected and elected by the wider electorate, unless that MP disgraces him or herself, he or she is likely to be able to remain the MP if it's a safe seat, potentially for decades. So the power of that group of selectors at the start is very great. Thereafter, I would say they become less significant. Dare I say it, their power seeps away. Oh, it evaporates. It comes power. to be forgotten. So, not absolute power, short term, temporary power. Oh, yes. Thereafter, much less so.
0: An excellent answer. And we'll be back next week with another episode. Until then,
1: goodbye. Goodbye. Onwards and upwards.
0: You have been listening to Absolute Power with me, Deborah Francis-White.
1: And me, John Burko.
0: Recording facilities were provided by Spiritland and the music was by Hannah Ledwidge. The producers for The Spontaneity Shop were Ned Sedgwick and Tom Selinsky. Absolute Power is part of the ACAST Creator Network and the House of the Guilty Feminist. For more information about this and other episodes, visit absolutepowerpodcast.com.